Welcome to Discussions with the NUI Galway Law Review. Tune in for episodes that will cover a wide range of highly requested topics and discussions with various experts in their field. You won't want to miss it. You name it, we talk about it. And now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to The Legal Lens, everyone. Today, I am joined by Sylvia Julius, a trainee solicitor at Arthur Cox, who runs an initiative called Diversity in Law, which is aimed at providing students tools necessary to navigate entering the professional legal world in Ireland. It focuses primarily on mentoring, CV clinics, and networking, and are currently hosting webinars with McCann Fitzgerald and Arthur Cox. Sylvia, welcome. Do you want to explain this initiative to us in more detail? Hi, um, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, so basically the initiative was started as more of a platform for people from Black ethnic minority backgrounds to feel like there is a space for them within the legal sphere. Unfortunately, the fact of the matter is that the numbers of Black people working within professional services in law, it's just not representative of the population of Ireland and I wanted to do something small just even within my space that I I knew that well yes I'm not in a position to be providing loads of jobs to black students I am in a position to help them find the jobs and help them navigate entry into the legal sphere so that's what we basically work on we just help with mentoring CV clinics just basically acting as a liaison between black students and the professional world so if anyone has any issues any questions like there is definitely like a shroud of mystery around the legal industry and unless you're really in the thick of it you kind of don't really know what's going on and unfortunately lots of people that want to become solicitors don't have members of their family that work within the industry and they don't really speak the jargon I suppose is the best way to put it around what's going on so we just wanted to provide that connection for them. That sounds really interesting. Now, obviously, you're a trainee in a top firm, which is obviously demanding enough in its own right. What exactly is involved in a traineeship in a top firm? And like, how do you feel like that kind of connects in with diversity issues and kind of issues you've faced while trying to work through these kind of this demanding traineeship? Being a trainee solicitor is very um, intellectually stimulating. You're working with some of the smartest people that you'll ever meet. It's an interesting career and it's absolutely phenomenal career and I couldn't recommend it enough. But we do lots of pro bono work providing legal services for initiatives like the Immigrant Council. But I wanted this to be specifically aimed at Black students. And I found that um, all the talk of all the pro bono work that my firm does really got me interested. It's very much encouraged within my firm to go out and do pro bono work. And that's why I wanted, like my firm were very much encouraging in doing this. So this would be my own little (laughs) pro bono project, I suppose. But being a trainee solicitor, no one really knows what trainee solicitors do. And I found that while talking to a lot of students, they were very much concerned about like what the career would actually entail again if you do not have family that work within the space you are not going to know what exactly the job entails and what exactly will be asked for you um exactly what criteria HR managers are looking for and exactly what they should be aiming to do within university to improve their chances of becoming solicitors we also as part of our initiative to improve applications and get people ready for interviews we also do a lot of work demystifying I think is the best word demystifying what actually we do and why we think people 
should be applying for these jobs. Being a Chinese solicitor involves a lot of, it very much depends on what state you're doing. You're doing like a wide range of tasks between like, like liaison with between like regulatory bodies, between clients. You do a lot of drafting, a lot of researching. But again, it's very much dependent on what seat you're in. Like I did a seat in funds, which is very, a lot of regulatory work. You do a lot of work in between clients and the CBI, like the central bank. I did a seat in insolvency, which is very much more litigation based. We are in and out of court a lot. It's great. I'm going to be in the high court in a couple hours. That's kind of exciting. And then now I'm doing currently doing a rotation in corporate, which is a lot more drafting. I'm not as much research, but very much transactional based. So you get to work on really interesting deals. And especially now with all the stuff around COVID, like it's a really interesting time to be in law because you are probably never going to see the stuff that the work that we're getting now, you're probably, it's so rare that a trainee you will get to be working on these kind of fast paced transactions and it's a great time to be in law. So we definitely wanted to demystify what actually entails to be a solicitor. I know for myself that I didn't come from a legal background. None of my family work within the industry. I studied accounting and finance in college and then I decided to make the switch over. So I know from firsthand that if you are not really in the thick of it, that you don't like, I had no idea FE1s and stuff are not explained to you. Like I had no idea. I thought I would just come out of college and then just be like, okay, you're a lawyer now. I'm like, great. <laughs> like that doesn't really happen. And unless you have like lots of friends in the industry, you're not going to know about FE1s, PPC1, PPC2. Like PPC1 and PPC2 were like a foreign language to me. I had no idea what people were kept talking about when they were referencing it. I didn't know about FE1s. I didn't know that I needed to secure a traineeship. It's very much like, the if you unless you are like completely in the thick of it like you just do not speak the language do you find that Matthew that there's a lot of jargon I suppose Um, I think I have to agree with you that there is a lot of kind of mystery that surrounds us before I went into law school I think I realized that I thought I knew a little bit about the sector but I really didn't and I think you're right in the sense that a lot of it does seem very very foreign and then you get in and then it's all talk about exams and this and that and the other and I was kind of similarly the same you know I remember reading that my degree makes me eligible to sit the New York bar. So I was kind of the opinion, you know, you just sit your FE ones and you knew I knew there was exams and oh, there you are, you're a lawyer, all done. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's, I was the exact same. I was like I was just like I'll walk out and then people would be like, Oh, you're going to court tomorrow, like you're a lawyer now. I'm like, Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not like that. <laughs> just just get stuck in, you know. Yeah. But I think another thing that kind of backs it up is you touched on it there a minute or two ago as well, is, you know, there's a lot of even in law school, you know, there's a lot of attention given to applications and interviews and like how to get the traineeship and how to get your foot in the door. But there's very little to no attention given to, well, what happens after that? It's very much like a fairy tale and then they lived happily ever after. Like you get the job and then you're just meant to live happy ever after and nobody ever talks about what actually that entails. That's a really and, good way to put it, actually, you know, it's just yeah, a fairy tale exactly. ending. Yeah, it's like a fairy, you get the job and then like you're living the dream. But like, what is the dream? <laughs> like, I didn't realize until I became a trainee that I was like I did not know what living the dream actually is and you're not told and and that's one thing I think is great about internships summer internships and I cannot recommend them enough like when you are in college like it is absolutely invaluable to get some real world experience and I know like university is 
such a busy time between like if people are doing sports and involved in societies and trying to keep down a part-time job and while keeping your grades and stuff up like it's such a busy time but the difference between studying a subject and practicing it in the real world are two completely like I cannot stress it's enough completely different things <laughs> um so it's, so I would highly highly recommend anyone out there to just I think most summer internships are now four weeks. It's four weeks of your summer holiday, but it is absolutely like invaluable work experience. I would, I reckon I did quite a few internships. Just You just won't know until you actually go and do. I think the best way to learn is just to go and do. I think we're lucky now that in NUI Galway, pretty much all the incoming law students from last year have the option of a full year's placement or Erasmus in third year. Yeah, that's great. I would highly recommend a full year's work placement. Like they're great to know exactly what you want to do. They're also great to know what exactly what you don't want to do. Because if I hadn't done that year in an accounting firm, I would have been stuck doing three years and having a three year contract. And essentially I would have just wasted three years of my life because I wouldn't have enjoyed it. So yeah, highly recommend. Enjoy your time, but also it's invaluable. Like it's an invaluable experience and highly recommend interning as much as humanely possible. So I did a four-year accounting and finance degree and then a two-year conversion course. So because it was only a two-year conversion course, we only pretty much did like the main modules that you would need for your FE1s, like your contract, your torts. Was that the Um, LLB or was that something different to the LLB? MCL, the Masters in Common Law in UCD. So it's a two-year program. And I would just say, like, advice for anyone that's listening, like, just make the most of it. And you don't know what you like until you try it. <laughs> yeah, just make the most of it. And then once you have your core modules all ticked off, like, just enjoy it, I suppose. We should probably come back a little bit to get back on topic. But um, since we were talking about internships so much, how do you feel kind of the experience and the the, lev- the work, the specific work that you're actually doing compares to the work that you'd be doing as a trainee similar is it like a nice lead into it or are they just like night and day with what you're trusted yeah. with i think it would depend on your firm and i think it's very much dependent on the structure of the summer internship of the firm that you get like i know when i was an intern i did some actually substantive work and then we did a lot of pro bono work, but I know from other firms, it's quite different that they have specific tasks that they want trainees to do. But I think, yeah, it's very much firm dependent. I've always had really good opportunities given to me for my summer internships, and I've always learned a lot. And to the point where like my summer internships, I've used the knowledge in like, for example, I did a summer internship in the funds department of a firm. And then my first rotation of my current firm was in funds. And I learned so much from working in funds in my previous summer internship that I had a really good baseline because they really taught me the basics of what the difference between like a USITS and a regular, like what like difference between a wife and a rave, like how exactly AUM works and stuff like that. But I learned that as an intern because the partner that I was interning under really wanted me to learn the basics. So I think if you can manage to get within like a firm that actually really cares about their summer interns and really views their summer interns as the future of their firm, you're going to have a fantastic experience. And yeah, you do actually learn quite a lot. And like my experience within the funds department of one firm was like absolutely invaluable to me when I started in my current firm because my first rotation was in funds. So yeah, you do actually do like some substantive work, but I think it's like, it is what you make of it. 
And it's very much dependent on the mentorship that you get there. Because I know there are summer interns that like spend the time getting coffee and spend their time just like reading the Guardian. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I suppose, like you said, like, I mean, it's it's exactly what you make out of it, these opportunities. And what is good about internships is it's giving you that opportunity to start learning baseline practical skills and how to start approaching what work like is going to be, I guess, compared to a traineeship where you're trying to build upon that again and start getting the deeper level of knowledge and start, mm-hmm. you know, kind of expanding on, you know, your own ability from, I suppose, legal writing, the drafting, researching, where you're trying to separate yourself from a student to a fully fledged professional. Yeah, people should always view internships as like a four week interview. Like it, it genuinely is like an extended interview. I, I think the soft skills are so imperative. Um, it's stuff like managing workload. Like reality is that you'll be working on a number of different matters at any one time. And it's realizing which you have to prioritize. It's being able to communicate if you can't meet a deadline. Stuff that they don't teach it like that in school, but like that is the reality of the most important things you're going to have to do is like managing expectations, meeting deadlines, different people like to work in different manners. So it's like managing communications between certain people, like certain partners like to be communicated in a certain format or their partners prefer another format. It's managing those kind of things. And that's stuff that you don't learn in school. And like, you can't really learn that in school. Like it's only when you get out in the real world that that you'll learn those soft skills and that's why these kind of opportunities are so imperative and that's why I really really encourage people especially black students to I think the best way to get your foot in the door in the industry is to make a name for yourself and the best way to make a name for yourself is just to show up. I suppose let's let's discuss I suppose some of the you know the practicalities of the actual traineeship and then we'll kind of we'll try and tie it back then again into the diversity I suppose your own experience within it. So day one I mean, how much do you expect it to do? Like, what, what's actually happening to let it work? <laughs> I mean, is there a good support group there for you? Is it a, a really good learning environment? Or are you just like, there's a pile of files dropped on your desk and go, oh gosh, like, I'll, see you, no. I'll see you at 2am, you, you know, when they're done? <laughs> Absolutely not. I think it kind of depends if you've come in the summer intern route or not. Um, so for your first week, it's very much like getting used to the building, um, meeting your team, getting swipe cards from security, like the practicals and making sure you're all logged into the system. I actually find like the first couple of weeks are mainly just like IT issues, <laughs> really. Um, making sure you're set up, making sure everyone knows who you are, going on lunch with your mentor and mentee partner. But I did, I know for me anyway, like the work did get substantial. I'd say like my first maybe my second week I started getting lots of like really really substantial work it's an amazing support system but I think I'm also lucky in the fact that I the firm I work with is quite large and we had like a really a decent sized intake so I think that really makes a difference you have a great support system because the fact that my intake is so large that there was um, lots of support in place for us like lots of talks like they really do go out of their way to make sure that you are in, as involved as possible within life in the firm and I think like that's something when you start as a trainee that's really I think the best way to meet people and to build a good rapport with your colleagues is just to get stuck into activities and they really encourage that for trainees I know when there's lots of like initiatives around pro bono there's lots of initiatives around sports I know for me 
I took up tag rugby. If you told me like four years ago that I would end up playing, spending my summers playing tag rugby, I would have laughed. But yeah, I took up tag rugby. It was a good one for me. Our firm are really active and stuff. There's lots of activities going on too. It's just the first couple of weeks are just getting involved into what I would call like firm life. But like, yeah, you will be expected to work. <laughs> like, I don't think that there's any such thing as like a but silly I, question in our firm. Well, I think you're right there. And I think that people when they're training, especially or young or just kind of, you know, young professionals, I suppose, are often terrified of criticism. So, yeah. you know, and I, I think that's because it's a, it's a sector that you're very, that people in, in it, it's, it's not something you fall into it because you have to work so hard to get there. So mm-hmm. I suppose there's an inherent passion about an industry. And I think when you're passionate about something, you become emotionally invested, which may, which often makes, I think, criticism very difficult to hear sometimes. And I think from a professional point of view, that's something we all need to work on. But what that often forces us to do is we often have to battle ourselves to own up to our mistakes and not like bury them. Yeah, do not bury your mistakes and we will be caught. <laughs> I think it's so much easier just to admit it if you're in the wrong. And like there is nothing that is not fixable. Do you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, like everything, well, within reason, but most things like if you've done something wrong, there is a fix for it. And it's just about um, flagging it as early as possible to get it sorted no one is invaluable. We've all made mistakes. There is, I make mistakes. Every single trainee makes mistakes. It's so, like people make mistakes and it's just about owning up and how you deal with the mistakes afterwards really shows what kind of lawyer you're going to be and what kind of, it shows your integrity at the end of the day is how you deal with the mistakes that you make. Um, Just own up to it. And like people shouldn't be afraid of criticism. Like we do like a lot of reviews. So like at the end of each rotation, you'll have a review to get constant feedback because you're never going to get any better if people aren't telling you how you can improve like you'll just stay at one baseline and you're not going to become an excellent lawyer if people aren't critiquing like everyone has stuff that they can work I, there is nobody nobody in the country that doesn't have anything that they don't need to work on you know what I mean and it's just I don't know what I need to work on until someone points it out to me and that's why it's so important to get actually constructive criticism and not take it I always view it as like a critique of my work and it's not a critique of me. Like it's not like they are not saying that there's anything inherently wrong with me, but it's just at times I need to focus on this and with certain tasks, I need to put more attention into this. But it's not a critique of me. I'm there to learn. I am a trainee. I am there to train. To tie into that with like the work that we do, like we really want people to feel that, what, like to manage their expectations of not only when they're in the job but like of us obviously of what the job actually entails we want people to make sure that they know what they're going into or so that they feel like they have a better grounding so that they don't feel as mystified by <laughs> the legal career I, I want to come back to you, like the whole diversity in law and I suppose maybe what inspired you to do it because you, you launched diversity in law Law can sometimes be seen as a very, you know, close off area. It can be difficult to get into it. Now, times are changing very much so. Society is continuously changing. Like, I think on the surface of things, I mean, everyone has access to education. Everyone has access, you know, to a certain level of funding, different on, things on, like that's that. very much on the surface level. Yeah, like, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, but that's yeah. what I think we need to address is the surface level. But I wonder, do you, do you want to give a personal insight of barriers that you've actually faced or need to be addressed and the issues that still lie to maybe open yeah. the sector up and kind of remove that, I suppose, that shadow image of law? And maybe the stereotype of, you know, the old men smoking cigars and drinking brandy in the back yeah. of 
for me, what I always thought that, um, while I never felt personally my race was like that much of an issue to me becoming like reaching my goals with what I wanted to do with my career. I definitely have gotten feedback from students that the socioeconomic background seems to be a bigger issue than probably people realize. And I think that's the thing that kept kept coming up was the issue around the socioeconomic divide. To be honest, the reality is becoming a solicitor isn't cheap between college, FE1s, I feel ones are 120 euro each. I'm not 100 percent sure. I think yeah. The one benefit about that now, though, is you don't have to wait till you graduate to do them. You can actually do them throughout yeah, your degree now, which would probably save people a lot of time because I know. Yeah, when probably, I was doing that, financially, it's probably a little bit easier too. Yeah, you're not like having to take time off because I know most people paralegal and then do their FE ones. But um, yeah, it's probably like a massive weight off people's chest and they can get straight into work. But like it is a huge, it's it's in a financial investment. And at the end of the day, where you're born in this country and the manner in which you speak and the access that you and your family have to good quality education really does pay a massive impact on where you end up. Like we like to think that we live in this fantastic meritocracy and for a lot of people, that's probably not the case. So um, it's just really about like leveling the playing field. Like we don't want to ever feel that certain groups of people are giving like initiatives like mine and different other work that other people have done within the sphere that you're giving like a boost up to people from certain backgrounds. But then again, I always want to make sure it's not about giving one person like a massive prop up. It's just about ensuring that everyone starts from the same playing fields like we're all starting from the same baseline and like you have to be living in a fantasy land if you think that it's currently going on because it's just not there are huge barriers for me personally like I'm lucky from the fact that like realistically I'm not going to pretend that I am like a a case of great tragedy like I went to a great school and I went to good universities and I studied hard and I worked well but like there's definitely privileges in my favor from the fact that I was from a certain area. I'm not pretending I'm from Tokyo or anything, but like I'm from a nice enough area. But there's definitely privileges from being in that background and stuff. Like I found for me, like probably my biggest issue is getting into the legal sphere was that I definitely had the idea that it's very much like connection space and none of my family worked in law. Like my dad is a bus driver and my mom's a maternity nurse. And like, like none of my family work within that sphere. I didn't know anyone. I was genuinely of the opinion that like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get work unless I have family members that are willing to be like my clients or like be able to get me, help me get a pupillage and stuff. Like you just don't understand that language. And I would say probably the barrister field is probably worse for this than the solicitor field. But it's very much of, if you are not like steeped in that my dad is a partner in McCann's and my mum's a partner in A&L. Like, how am I, like, I'm not really going to be able to get a job. But it's not, it's not like that. Um, not that I found, but there definitely is issues around the socioeconomic issue. Like, we just don't see people from certain areas of Dublin in top law firms. And that's just a matter of fact. No one's going to deny that. 
Do you think a lot of that kind of arises from tradition? And I suppose is that maybe one of the biggest barriers that are supposed one of the hardest barriers to overcome that as society changes, we need to change who's educating the, you know, the next level of professionals. Yeah. Um, I think it probably will. Does that make sense actually? You know? Um, yeah, I think there's this idea that these kind of things will get better with time, but I think like they really do need a push if like it's not going to get dramatically better just on its own. Um, I think the only way to get really around that is to just make access to education and access to jobs for people from certain backgrounds. Just make them as accessible as possible. Like you, it goes back to that you can't be what you can't see. And if you don't know anyone that works in a particular industry from your area, you're just going to think it's not for you. But I think it's so important that people see people from their backgrounds um succeeding in this industry and then that'll prompt more people to make up from people to apply for law school prompt more people to apply for top firms but again that's just a numbers thing and those are rookie numbers we need to push those numbers up you know it's just a matter of numbers like how do you think is the best way to address this and kind of get it like i mean it's probably a system that's going to be best changed from the inside out so mm-hmm. and i mean and already when you consider that there is a lot of networking that goes on and law by nature is a lot of networking. Do you think we need to take, go down the route of maybe, you know, policy, uh, positive discrimination quotas or different things like that to make sure that we're intaking Um, a certain level? Positive discrimination is so... It it sounds like a terrible word when you say it. (laughs) It's such a touchy subject. And I think there's always this issue of like tokenism that people never want to feel that they got a job just because they wanted to hit a particular quota and I never want someone to like if they get a job because of positive discrimination then they get into a firm that other people won't deem them as worthy is that the correct term I don't know yeah yeah, I mean like they didn't really earn their place yeah but they haven't earned their place but I don't think that's the case at all. And every single black person that I know that works in like top sectors doesn't feel that way. I can speak for myself. Like I've definitely earned my place. Like no one's going to say that I don't deserve to be where I am because I definitely do. Uh, yeah, I think positive discrimination is a, is a tough. I'm very much of the opinion that rather than positive discrimination, I like the idea of like blind CVs better that just like, take the name and people's addresses off CVs so that you are just seeing results, you are just seeing extracurriculars that you just don't know where they came from or what their name is. It would be really an interesting experiment if we could do it on a large enough scale to be able to actually compare. Yeah, I'm like looking the fact that like my name is quite like ethnically, I don't know where my parents got the name, my name, but like my name is like ethnically ambiguous that if you saw it on this piece of paper, you wouldn't automatically think that I was black. You'd probably be like, she's not Irish, but you're just like, you know, where is she from? I get Italian or Spanish a lot. Well, the Julius. Yeah. Um, But I've heard from a lot, particularly from students with Muslim names, that they're always kind of worried about it. People that have like traditionally African names, because it's so much more obvious that they're black, that they always feel like they don't want to put their names down on CVs. And I know it's, again, it's one of those things where you don't think of it because it never applies to you. Like it's never been an issue with me so I've never thought of it but like I'm I'm more of a favor in favor of like blind CVs rather than positive discrimination I genuinely think that people should be 
evaluated based on their merit, based on what they've done, based on their achievements, not based on, okay, we need to have like 10 black people in this intake. And then also it's the issue of like, what do you classify as ethnic minority? Because it's so broad. Like, do you classify, do you include people from traveling communities? Do you include people that are mixed race? What if someone is black, but their parents are like, oil sheiks and like they're super rich and they grew up in this super privileged background and they went to like private school but they just happen to be black whereas like someone that is like white but they are from a really really disadvantaged area in Dublin like who gets priority do you know what I mean it's such a touchy subject yeah and and there's a lot of other issues surrounding that I think as well like first of all just touch on the positive discrimination quotas again I was always of the opinion oh the best person for the job should get the job but then I realized that's not how it works anyway (laughs) You know, that's not necessarily how it works. So, I mean, which kind of looks like it's back in favor of positive discrimination. But I never actually thought of the blind CVs, which I thought was actually, which is actually really, really interesting. And I suppose another identity is very much. Yeah, because identity is something that's, that's, it's very fluid at the minute. And I suppose it's very much that's, that's discussed at the moment. And I know there's like another issue that could potentially happen now. I'm not going to pretend I'm educated on. I'm just aware that this exists. So, don't start killing me for this. But there is um, there is debate now in the US about, you know, like ethnic identities, you know, like you may be Caucasian, but you feel like your identity is this or you identify as this. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's kind of harmful. Um, it, like, I think it's fine to have these conversations, but some of the rhetoric can be a little bit harmful. Um, I don't know. I think if you're thinking about like a Rachel Dowsell, like, can you just say one day, like, hey, I feel black and therefore I'm going to classify myself. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, certainly, a, it's certainly not an issue we want to go into too deeply, but I, but I, think, I, I do think that has the potential, like if there was positive discrimination quotas, I do think like that would kick up, would present certain challenges. Yeah, it, that's the thing. It presents really, I think, especially what you, what do you classify as an ethnic minority? Like, and exactly where does that level stop? Is someone's mixed race, are they from an ethnic minority? Um, yes, but are but at the same time, someone that's mixed race might have like an insane amount of privileges over someone that's from a traveling community. Do you know what I mean? Like where yeah, do it's you relative, isn't it? so like I never it's all relative and I think it's it's so, so broad and there's so many things to take into consideration when it comes to positive discrimination. But Again, I think it's always for me, like, you never want to be a token. I never wanted to feel like a token. And I've always worked really, really hard to the point where I don't think anyone that thinks that I got in my position just because I'm Black, I'm like, you can check out my CV and (laughs) you'll know that that is certainly not the case. So... I put in the work, I've earned my place. Yeah, like, but I I don't want to ever feel like I have to justify my place. Like, I'm tired of it. Like, it's boring. That you feel like you do you feel like you have to justify it now? I like especially with the work that I do regarding to black people. I feel like there's always this air of favoritism. I think Stormzy said it best. It's not anti-white. It's pro-black. Like it's not. I'm never trying to like give a leg up specifically just to black people to get well, balance the scale a little bit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think it's very much. Um, it's a bit more nuanced, and I think it's a really delicate conversation. Bush, I think I'm definitely not the biggest fan of positive discrimination. But then again, I don't know, you know, t- tangibly how you're going to just improve the numbers. 
Yeah, it is a really tough one. I think we've touched it's on It's a really, really tough one. And I think more research and more work needs to be done on that just to figure out like what is like the best and most I don't know what is the best, what's the most sustainable way of going about it? Yeah, I think it's definitely tough. I think there's definitely going to be a lot of work to do and probably, you know, some kind of maybe long term social experiments conducted on the matter to yeah. really <laughs> to really be able to compare. I mean because I suppose yeah. everything's results based. And until you I suppose you can see hard figures, there's always yeah, exactly. to be that. until you can see like tangible improvements and exactly where those improvements are happening, like what have people found? I know for me, doing CV clinics and stuff have, and just even providing students with the confidence to even just go and make those applications. I feel like that from now is where my focus is going to lie. Like if people want to get involved with you and um, get in contact with you, how do you recommend they do that? You just send us a quick email. And then if you want to get involved, just let us know. But even if you just want to get to know black law students throughout the country, just Hit us up, I suppose. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Any final yeah. advice for us? Just because you don't see anyone that looks like you within an area, it's never going to improve unless a small number of people do something. You are not going to see more black people in law unless more black people go into law. You have to be the change. Like if you want to see numbers improve, you've got to make applications. You've got to apply. You've got to put yourself in the best position to get these type of jobs. You've got to be the change. And like it really is on not to push all the responsibility onto students from ethnic backgrounds, but you've got to make sure that you are in the best position possible to get those training ships. So with that, we'll just say update you <laughs> for our next episode. And thank you again so much, Sylvia. Thank you so much for having me. And anyone that wants to get in contact, just our details will be below. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To learn more about the NUI Galway Law Review and to stay up to date with information about workshops, guest speakers, social and career events, networking opportunities, and much more, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you next time.